0: Uh, Before we read our New Testament text this morning, which will be the sermon text, uh, let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon uh, the preaching and hearing and reading and receiving of this word. Uh, Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we rejoice together in the blessing of your presence with us, the power of your Holy Spirit, and the privilege and liberty to study your word, to sit underneath it, to be taught by it, to be changed by it, and most of all, Lord, We thank you and rejoice together for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his poverty on the cross and for our riches because of the work that he earned and for uh, the spiritual blessing that he poured out upon us through his Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for the pages of Scripture in all his glory and grace that he will come to us and satisfy our deepest need for he is the only hope for us, Lord. Grant to us to focus our minds on Christ alone. To send down, we pray, Lord, uh, the presence of your glory. And that you would envelop us with your Holy Spirit. Be a wall of fire around us in the glory in our midst. And enable us, we pray, to hear Jesus and to know that we are for certain his people. All this we pray, we pray in his mighty name, and all God's people said, "Amen, amen." <clears throat> Turn your Bibles to First John. We continue in this first uh, letter of John. We're at the halfway point, <clears throat> moving into the second half of the book. First John, chapter three, verse eleven uh, to eighteen. 1 John, <clears throat> chapter three starting at verse 11. Please give her full attention. This is the word of God. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and a murderer and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children do not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The word of the Lord. He has blessing upon his word at this time. You may be seated. Well, I'm sure that most of you have had opportunity to visit other churches throughout your life than your regular church, being here or being or prior to being here. Or being on a vacation, you know, or special events or a family or friends. Um, and by the way, if you do visit Friends Church, um, make it a requirement when you go that they visit your church as well. But we've done this as well. I remember when I was in seminary, we visited um, quite a number of churches Just trying to get experience and exposure um, to what people were doing and how they were doing it. And there are some, usually, they're usually uh, fairly big, uh, Dutch-heavy churches uh, that we'd visit. And we'd realize that um, after you get to know uh, the people uh, briefly afterwards as you visit and um, talk, that though there are many, many people there, there are really only two, maybe three families, (laughs) right? They all belong to, right? They're all... uh, uh, stem and spawn from a handful of families. Um, well, God's word, including First John this morning, tells us that there are only two families um, in reality, right? When you look at Fort Wayne and the statistics, they're different where you they're different um, regarding where you look at the at the stats. But um, two hundred sixty five thousand people in Fort Wayne, uh, and then you look at the, uh, what's called the Fort Wayne. Uh, statistical area, which includes some of the surrounding counties, 409,000 people in this area. That's a lot of people, right? Almost a half a million people. And John says that all in scripture confirms that all of 409,000 people belong to only two families. Only two families. There's the family of darkness and the family of light. And this is true not of just the population of Fort Wayne, but everywhere. Right? There's one family that is still in bondage to the evil one and the other, the family of God, who belong to Jesus Christ. One of John's great concerns is that all of those who are children of God should know and enjoy the assurance of that, that they belong to the family of God, that they are his. He is zealous to teach them and remind them and encourage them of this reality, that they belong to God. He wants to wake up. Uh, he wants them to wake up, right, every day as they wake up and bless the Lord that they are his children rejoicing in this reality. He wants them to know the kind of love that he mentioned earlier, right, when he said, uh, what kind of love is this that we should be called children of God? And that in and of itself should uh, render, should, should bring an awe and a warmth and a glory to all those who belong to him. He wants them to say, that's me. That's me. That matters most for me, that I belong to the Lord, that I'm a child of God. That's what beats my heart. Right? That's what pushes me in life, in all that I do. I belong to Christ, and I am a child of God. He's my God, and I am his. And if that doesn't matter to you, or you think little of that, or if that's not enough for you, <clears throat> you might need to ask yourself, uh are you really a child of God? If you've lost your first love, right, these things don't matter to you. Or if you had never had that love, that first love in the first place. And if you've not had that first love, if you're not trusted in Christ for your salvation, you must respond to the gospel, right? You must respond to this truth. Even now, you must believe in Christ, believe that he entered into his creation, that he lived the perfect life, that he earned heaven, that he suffered a death on the cross, that he rose again on that third day, so that sinners who believe and trust in him, his work, his accomplishment, will be given new hearts and a home in glory forever, an eternal home, and be transferred from that family of darkness to the family of light. Repent and believe. Do not delay that this is not true of you. Consider, repent, and believe. Uh, this is, uh, there's nothing more important than this, right? We, we recognize. John is dealing with this church that has split. And those that are upsetting the church, trying to draw the faithful out of that church, they had caused some of those faithful to wonder, to wonder if they really were the children of God, right? They've upset the church and they're thinking, well, what is true then? Am I really a child of God? Uh, have I been misled all this time? But the Lord, through John, in this letter, wants to encourage the true children of God to know who they are and to differentiate them from, with crystal clarity from those who are the children of the devil. And we know who we are because we begin to exhibit the family characteristics, right? This is what John's been talking about all along in his letter, uh, those who look like their family. Right? This family resemblance, right? The characteristics begin to be real in your life of who you are. And these are things that you will see present in your lives. And things, uh, as we look at, there are, there are things that are true of your life. and There are things that are absent that are not true of your life. And he gives both of them throughout his writing here. And John is saying here, if you're a child of God, if you're in the family of Christ, you will grow more and more like the Lord Jesus, right? Like the Lord The message in the first half of this letter is that God is light and his children walk in light as they love one another. And as we transition here into the next half, he says God is love, right? God is light and God is love. And his children walk in love as they live in the light, right? So there's kind of a play that he's doing here, uh, saying the same thing differently in in, in different ways, but it's the same thing. And so verse 3, verse 11 says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. And so let's remember also that this love, uh, this loving here isn't the watered-down, distorted love of the world, right, that we see in every movie and hear in every song, right? That is not the love that is spoken about in Scripture, especially here. It's not this sappy, emotive love, right? It's not a natural thing that John is talking about. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing derived by and given by God himself. And so he's talking about love for the family of God, love for the family of God as God loves that family. In this passage before our passage, right, in verse 10, it told us, "'By this it is evident who are the children of God "'and who are the children of the devil. "'Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, "'nor is the one who does, the lo- does not love his brother.'" Right? And so why must the children of God love one another? Right, is is the question. What does this mean? Again, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And the Apostle John uh, learned this from Christ himself, right? We read in John, right, John's gospel, chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? And so John's just repeating what he has learned from the Savior here to this, uh, these, um, this church to whom he's writing. And notice what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> he commands the church and he commands his people to love one another. But this isn't just like this nebulous command floating around, you know, uh, in the ether. It's grounded in what? What's the, what is he grounded in? It's the love of Christ, The love of Christ who loved us, right? We love because he first loved us. At the end of this, uh, towards the end of the section we're looking at today, in verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, right? And so chapter 3 has been described um, by many as having two halves, right? The first speaks about the necessity of this brotherly love, and the second speaks about the nature of this brotherly love, right? The necessity and then the nature. And this, this logically flows, um, right, if we think about it. Once we know the necessity of walking in light, walking in love, loving one another, we have to ask, well, what does that mean? What is, the, what is the nature of this love that we're commanded to walk in? What is it? What does it look like, this mark of my life and living? And so John goes on to answer, and he gives three illustrations uh, that mark this love. <clears throat> there are two negatives and one positive. He first says in verse twelve, he says, "Don't be like Cain, right? Don't be like Cain. We <clears throat> should not be like Cain, who was in the of the evil one and murdered his brother. <clears throat> Don't be like Cain." And we know he's referencing this account of uh, the seed of darkness and the seed of light, right, in in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And in Scripture, we see, indeed, uh, the whole of it, this vivid picture of this conflict between the power of darkness and the power of light, right? This picture between these two seeds mentioned in Genesis 3. Remember way back when, the promise within the curse in the garden, right? You remember this in John, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord says, this is the Lord's uh, dictate, his, his uh, uh, words towards the, the serpent, remember, in the garden. And throughout redemptive history, there is this uh, God-built enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Right? These two seeds unfolds. And this verse, indeed, sets the stage for the rest of Scripture. It provides the grid. Right, the remainder of biblical history uh, is the unfolding of this this first Genesis three fifteen, uh, and it's built to emphasize and to highlight um, that noun enmity is found in at the front of the verse, right? Which is not usual. It's kind of weird for Hebrew, but it's usually placed there uh, for the the um, it's kind of, I call it Hebrew highlighting, right? When they move words around the normal structure, and so it's placed there in front to emphasize something. And we find the same word, enmity, only used five times in the Old Testament. And the use of the word tells us something uh, of its meaning. And we find that, that when we look at these uses of this word, uh, we're not going to look at all those instances, but it is hostile conflict leading to the shedding of blood. Right, That's the core of what this is. Hostile conflict leading to the shedding of blood to the death. It involves hostile, intent, uh, intense, and hatred. And this conflict extends through the lineage as well, right? The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, this seed uh, conflict theology throughout. And the spiritual descendants of the serpent are in murderous conflict with the descendants of the woman, the promised Savior to come. And we know it's spiritual, right? It's not physical, it's spiritual, because of the illusion that John gives us here in this letter, don't be like Cain, right? Cain and Abel, they both were physical descendants of Eve, right? Both of them. But Cain murdered Abel. There's a spiritual seed conflict. And we see this conflict as it broadens in history as we move uh, into the uh, going forward in redemptive history. Right? We think of uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Two seed conflict. Or we think of the, the judges and the cycle of the judges, or the whole history of Israel. We see this as well. One seed, Satan's is trying to destroy the other seed, <clears throat> and we also see this conflict, this uh, the extent of this as well. If we fast forward ahead, even to the Gospel of John, John chapter eight, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, uh, John eight forty four, "You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning." and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, right? And so Jesus here uh, is connecting Satan's act, not just with deception or lying, but with murder, right, with murder. We we compare this to what Jesus taught us to pray, taught taught those who believe, those who are are the, the, the family of God to pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? They're of their father, the devil. We are of our father who art in heaven. Right? And so the spiritual seed conflict um, is there between them. <clears throat> and these could be uh multiplied these verses in this this sentiment, but we just can just go to the uh, uh, to the last book of our Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter twelve, where we see this also um full forward. Uh, Revelation 12, starting verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, that is her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Right, so you see here again in, 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 uh, in progression, in extent, these this conflict between these seeds. And throughout scripture from start to end, there's this conflict, this unfolding word from God in Genesis 3. Uh, and John uses this illustration, Cain, as uh, uh, to begin his discussion in chapter 3, 11, going forward. And he says, remember Cain. Remember this one, this, that this, the very antithesis of brotherly love that I'm talking about. Cain is not that. He's the prototype of the opposite of what I'm saying. He hated his brother. He hated the faith of his brother, right? He hated his faith. When we look at Genesis 4 and we look at Hebrews, and here in 1 John, we see that the image is clear. Abel walked in faith, Cain hated that faith, and this ultimately led him to murder his brother. And, of course, Jesus explained, as we're well aware, that the sin of murder isn't isolated to the physical uh, reality, right? Hating is murder. Hating someone in your heart is murdering that person. And all the ramifications from that, right? I remember when I was a very little boy in school, it was a time when teachers would lie to their students uh, with this little rhyme to try and make them feel good when someone called someone else a name or an insult, right? And you all probably have heard it as well. It's uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And it's just not true. Not true. Calling someone names out of hatred is murder, Scripture says. And in fact, it's usually more painful and long-lasting when someone lies about you, when someone spews out venomous hate from their mouths, or even subtle hate from their mouths. It's all murder. Names will not never hurt me. They hurt. And so John is saying, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. It's the opposite of what I'm saying here. And then he says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, right? Don't be like Cain, and don't be surprised at the at the enmity, the, the animosity, the, the hostility that the world has towards you. And it's hard to understand, and it's hard to grasp how many Christians are surprised that the world hates them, right? There are many churches that their, their whole focus is to get the world to like them. They want to be like the world. It's not a surprise that the world hates you because you belong to Christ and the world hates Jesus. It's like all over Scripture, right? It's not a mystery <clears throat> that this will be the reality of the church in this world until glory, until glory. Uh, it happened to Jesus, is was hated, it will happen to you as you're identified with him. And indeed, the suffering that we go through, are badges are belonging to Christ, right? Rather than a mystery and a surprise, and you know <clears throat> you can't understand it. It's not. It's not all that might happen to me. What happened, to Jesus? But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, John says, don't be surprised. It's unsurprising that the world will hate you. It's it's expected. <clears throat> they will hate you. You will suffer. Right? Paul tells us. And then, lastly, in verse fourteen. We have this glorious indicator that we have new life and that we are the children of God. And verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And you get it, right? The love of the brothers is the indicator. It's the sign that I pass from death to life. Um, And really what John is doing here is giving it contrasting illustrations, right? He's, he's raised the illustration of Cain, the hateful murderer, and then he gives us next illustration of Christ, right, of Christ and of love. <clears throat> and I read it at the start, verse 16, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And you see what John is doing here, <clears throat> He said, don't be like that one who murdered his brother. Be like the other one, Christ, the true seed of the woman, our Savior, who laid down his life for his people. And you do the same. And that really is everything, right? It's everything. It is life here in this world and the next. It is the only way for victory over hate. The only way the world is overcome, right? The values and attitudes that are opposed to God and to his people. The only way to victory over the worldly tendency towards self satisfaction and self obsession is to be born of God. Only then are you able and free to love and obey, to walk in love, right? All of this, John tells us, is only through faith, through faith in Christ. This one who those deniers in the church, those upsetters in this congregation were attacking Christ, the Messiah, come in the flesh to be the Savior of the world, he'll go on to say. The one who will judge the world in righteousness, who has taken the punishment and the judgment for those who are His, who have faith in Him. The one who loves and fills with love and changes natures to self sacrificial love rather than self obsession and obedience. It is through faith that all of this happens. Through faith in Christ. Here is victory over our lies, our sinful hearts, our guilt and our fears, over all that is against God. <clears throat> faith in his son, right? Faith in Christ. It is here and here alone where victory is found. Your only hope and assurance is faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a mystery. It's not hidden. It's not obscured. It's everything. Assurance from abiding in love and walking in love, right? And this is glorious, brothers and sisters, and I hope you feel the glory of it in the weight of this. And as we consider these things, you might be thinking to yourself, as I think to myself, uh, I don't keep this command to love. I don't love like this. I don't love like I should. It's not natural for me. I waver in my love. I'm weak at times, right? And brothers and sisters, if you think these things, you're right. You don't do these things. You don't do them as I don't do them perfectly as well. We are weak and we fail and we stumble and we are inconsistent. We are feeble and foolish and forgetful of the truth. And probably the more you understand the magnitude of God's call on your life to be holy, be holy as I am holy, The more you grasp that and are buried in that, the more you realize your inability and failure to measure up, and it can be crushing. It can be crushing. But take heart, dear Christian. Take heart. Have confidence and be assured that you have a Savior who does measure up. You have a Savior who does love as he should, a Savior who is holy, perfectly holy, who did fully keep this commandment. And by faith, for the one who trusts in him through faith, he gives this to you, his perfection to you. He did this for you, and he's freed you to walk in love and to give everything for him and for your family of the children of God. You were washed, right, Paul says. You were justified and you were sanctified. Brothers and sisters, he has and is sanctifying you. You're not working or fighting to get to the point where you can love naturally from your own sin-stained heart. You can't give what you don't have. Rather, remember that your nature has been changed and he is working in you to live out of your new nature, united to him who is holy, who does love, who does not fail. The one who cares for you and he carries you throughout your life. The one who assures you that the glorious and soul-healing, life-giving love for you is real and will never fail for you, will never fail you, will never leave you. <clears throat> and he's working in you and will complete you till the end. Right? will complete what he began in you. You're part of his family by faith in Christ, in the Christ come in the flesh, filled with his love, fearless to walk with the feet of faith in love, love for him and love for those who belong to him free to live your life in this love out of your identity, your union with Jesus Christ. May we hold in our hearts, brothers and sisters, and live from the reality of this love, of his love. And may we take heart that the one in whom your assurance and comfort alone is found is yours. This is yours by virtue of who he is. Your life is hidden with him. He has loved you first, Right? As you leave this Lord's Day, remember what God tells us here and elsewhere, that your walking in love is made possible only from abiding, uh, his abiding in you, right, his abiding in you. You can't give what you don't have, but he can. And this issues forth in your assurance, in your confidence, that he is yours and you are his, for sure, for certain. And may this, indeed, uh, this insurance impact your living and your loving in life, and may you glorify your God by all that you do, and may he be praised by that. And may the world see who you are by what you do. A peculiar people, remember, it was said of old, uh, may it be true of us as it was of them. Let them know us by our love for one another, to the praise of Christ. And so may we look away from ourselves and to him who lives for you and will bring you one day into the very presence of the Father, where your true And final home is eternally. May he keep you this week in love to the praise of his glory now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, by the power of your spirit, we pray, give us strength to live uh, changed by the message that we have heard from your word today. Lord, we want to embrace these truths and to believe what you have said about us and to us in that word. May we grow to know and to love and to believe. May we find our life in Christ. We ask, dear Lord, use uh, this church, use this body, Providence Presbyterian Church, for the furtherance of the gospel in Fort Wayne. Do a work in this area and glorify yourself by this small colony of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we pray for the congregation of your people this morning as uh, we encounter various struggles in this life that we all do, that we would fight to live in such a way that matches the profession of our mouths. And we pray for those suffering this morning. And we ask that you would grant relief, mercy, and freedom as your will accords, Lord. Heal and restore your people. Yet, whatever your perfect will is, Lord, we pray that you would draw us close unto you that we would abide our suffering well and that we would know that we have a perfect and loving and gentle Lord who cares for us beyond all comprehension who is the God of the resurrection of the dead and the certainty that we will be made new Lord we ask grant us to know the blessing of following your word your will and your way and your law that we've been freed Lord, help us to know that we've been freed from the bondage of sin and death and freed to begin to keep your law, to keep your ways in love and in gratitude. May we live out of our newness in Christ. We pray for the households represented here this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray forgive our failure to fidelity and our various roles. Grant to us that we would long rightly to be who you have made us in them. The parents, Lord, we pray that that, the that we would love and nurture our families in the culture of your word with reverence and delight in Christ and that we would raise them lord our children child to parent as mutual uh, that, that we would delight in Christ as our mutual savior we would point them to Christ in all of our doing even in our failing and seeking repentance and forgiveness, Lord, and that our homes would be a very picture of the gospel in a world that is so contrary to and in need of the truth. Lord, we pray that the children of our family here would rejoice in their creator and sustainer and redeemer of their souls. Lord, we pray for the singles uh, of our church, of our family here, that, uh, they would be, uh, that you would be strong in their lives. Lord, we pray grant them faith to find fulfillment in Christ, whatever your plans may be. Lord, we pray that you bring into their lives faithful Christians that you would have for their future. Protect them against secular uh, allurements uh, and pour your love into their hearts as they seek to follow you in all that they do. Lord, for all your people, we pray here, whatever hardships we might endure in this life, that we would see you our God and our King, that you are faithful and good and gracious to us and that you love us with the perfect love. Lord, we ask for all of us that you would indeed secure uh, our future, that you would be with us, and that you would protect us. We pray for the, mission, missions, um, uh, the, missionary, uh, the missionaries of this church um, that we represent in our presbytery. Protect them. Give them encouragement. Lord, give them success in what they do by your will and your sovereignty. Lord, we pray uh, that for the officers of the church, give us wisdom and love as we care for and bless um, uh, the people that you've given to us, Lord, and uh, bless the, 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 the work of the officers of this church, the elders and deacons, Lord. We pray for our congregation, all of us, be merciful to us, strengthen us, and conform us evermore into the image of our king, your son, our savior. For it's in his name that we pray all these things, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.